So I'm going to read from, I'm going to read again, because it's a similar story, but a totally different context, um, and I'm going to preach from this one, which is uh, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. I mean, that a talent is like five years' wages. So ten thousand talents. We're talking about a lot of money. A big exaggeration. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's about one day's wage for a worker. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's kind of a very interesting parable. Because just on face value, when you read it, is this parable saying that um, it's justification by works? And that God can forgive and then take his forgiveness back? And, you know, is it once saved, always saved? Or does God change his mind? And kind of at first reading, that's what you can get. Um, and I want to somehow correct that today. But I want, I want you to keep in mind the things we spoke about last week, which was that God does some, the things that he does with the kingdom, he does them very, very slowly. He doesn't do things fast. He does things slowly. plants a seed and it grows <clears throat> and become something. And we have to see that in the light of this parable as well, that God is fashioning us to become, become a certain type of person that lives in the kingdom of God. That takes time. So don't leave this as, oh, if I don't get this right today, for some reason God's going to throw me into the debtor's prison. I don't think that's what he's saying. Let me read this from a book that we've been using um, in looking at the parables. It's called Stories of Intent by a beautiful name, guy named Klein Snodgrass, which is a really good English name, I think. Parables are not theologies. They are theological, and we are greatly impoverished if their theology is neglected. But they must be allowed to do what they intend and not be pushed beyond their purposes. And I think one of the things that we often do when we read parables is we make them do what they weren't intended to do. They were a story to highlight something, a characteristic of what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven looks like. It wasn't meant to be an all-encompassing thing. It's like reading the, fo- you know, the, the, the hare and the, the, the tortoise and try and work out, is it about biology? No, it's just trying to tell a story that 
slow, steady gets you there. I mean, that's one thing. So I think parables are like that. So this parable is teaching an important point about life in the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurates, this kingdom that he brings about. The kingdom of God is at hand. You can, it, it can be available to you. You can enter it. All you have to do is come to me, and you can enter in to this kingdom life and everything that it offers. offers. So um, from, with that, let's talk about this a little bit. Jesus tells a parable in response to a question from Peter. Peter is asking, how often must I forgive? Now, I, I kind of hazard a guess that we struggle with forgiveness. I think it's, it's, I think it's something common to humanity. We don't like to forgive. Forgiveness sometimes is seen as weakness. We love the idea of getting back at someone, um, getting vengeance, uh, they're going to pay for what they did, an eye for an eye, you know that type of idea? There's a, there's a saying that is, uh, was supposedly said by Gandhi, but it, it wasn't said by him, but it's a great quote anyway. An eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. So something about what God wants to do is a little different from that. Um, and so Peter asked the question, I've forgiven seven times, is that enough? And Jesus said, no, 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 you've got to do the 70 times seven, which is basically saying... Keep going. It's not like 70 times 7 and then you've done enough. It kind of means an infinity way of forgiving. But the interesting thing is that Peter's asking a question in the light of a teaching that Jesus gave. If your brother sins against you, etc., etc., what do you do? So Jesus says something. Peter now wants to understand what Jesus says. So is this how much? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a parable. Let's, let's understand this parable. Let's summarize it like this. The concern of this parable is God's forgiveness and mercy and the seriousness of failing to mirror God's forgiveness and mercy. Does that make sense? This is about God's forgiveness and mercy and the challenge for God's people in the kingdom to mirror that forgiveness and mercy. In a nutshell, that's kind of what the parable is about. But it has three phases to it. It's a story of a man who owes so much that he can never repay him it. Uh, 10,000 talents is whatever the Bible says here. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. One talent. And he owes how much? 10,000 talents. So Matthew writing this, recalling what Jesus said, is Jesus exaggerating beyond measure, saying this is a debt that can never ever be paid so if, if you're going to pay i'm just going to take you and your family it's, it's a point jesus is not endorsing slavery he's telling a story that is common to the the world of that at that time if you couldn't pay they would just take your family and put you in servitude so you could pay it back he's saying i'm just going to take you and you'll never get out because you can never repay this and the guy falls his mercy mercy and the king has mercy, writes off his debt. That's the big part of the story. The big part of the story as representation of what God has done is that God has forgiven us a debt that we could never, ever in a million years with all our good works, if we live forever and ever, we would never repay that debt which is owed. He forgives us. He has his mercy on us and he forgives us. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. <coughs> But what he's pointing out here to Peter is the second part of the story. That guy goes out. Now, 
You would think he'd be grateful. You'd think he'd be thankful. You'd think he'd say, I have been given so much, let me just help my brother out here. His brother comes and owns him one day's wages, which is possible to be paid. Chokes him by the neck, says, no, 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 I'm going to throw you in jail until you pay back every cent. What he has received, he hasn't freely given. You know, and I, actually this story has applied to me in my life. There was a situation once where I was let off something, and actually a few days later I held someone to account for the very same thing that I'd been let off. How stupid. How stupid. So one story is this great forgiveness. Second story is a little unforgiveness. Third part of the story is there's a consequence. There's a consequence to that action. And I think it's important for us to begin to see that. I just want to say this just because it's in the story, but it's a parable. God doesn't have torturers. He's going to take you and someone's going to torture you and hit you with whips and burn you with cigarettes. And God doesn't do that. He's, this is a story, a parable, to illustrate a point about forgiveness. Forgiveness is this thing that flows out of the love of God. It's actually the key pillar of kingdom life is understanding that God loves us. And out of that love flows his justice and his mercy and his forgiveness and his kindness toward us. The, the, I mean, the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So as we are the recipients of this incredible love from God that's demonstrated through mercy. So often we want God to love us. We want him to come and put his arms around us and make us feel cozy, which is great. But one of the ways that God shows his love is that while we are guilty, he forgives us. And he shows us mercy when he shouldn't. Does it make sense? So this love is really, really important. I mean, if you actually go look at the Shema, you know, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is this prayer that Jews all prayed, like our Lord's prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. This is intrinsic to understanding God and the kingdom is this in, of love. And the aspects of that love are forgiveness and mercy and kindness and grace. And Jesus telling the story saying, this king representing the God is showing someone who can never actually be found innocent, ever, can never repay. He shows him mercy out of this love and releases him and says, go on your way, be free, live life. And live life to the full in a, in a, in a way that's totally, totally free. Um, Jesus speaking to Peter saying, but you, I've called you to follow me, be my, be my disciples, learn from me. The thing I'm wanting you to learn is you have to become and do the things that I've done. And as I freely forgive, I'm asking you to freely forgive. If you don't forgive, you haven't truly understa understood that you have been forgiven. Does it make sense? If we do not forgive, we haven't fully grasped the understanding of God's forgiveness toward us. We haven't understood the, the immensity of what our debt that is owed, that God has wiped out. And it's important for us to see that. Um, so when we don't do the things that God wants us to do, there's a consequence. Um, in that same book, Stories of Intent, Mr. Snodgrass says this, Jesus insists that discipleship includes obedience. 
Jesus insists that discipleship includes obedience. All the focus on obedience, however, is based in God's prior action. God calls us to a life of obedience because of what he has done. He doesn't call us to obedience and then he acts. He acts that leads to a life of obedience. Blesses the man who hears my words and puts them into practice, who does them. If you say you love me and you receive my love, then obey me. Those are the words of Jesus. There's a sense of obedience tied to what it means to walk out in the love and into the kingdom of what God has for us. So there's consequences to not living out this kingdom life that God gives us through his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So what is this consequence? In this story, the consequence seems to be God forgives. I don't forgive. God takes back his forgiveness and puts me in prison. And I think we can only begin to understand that story if we, if we come to grips with what is the kingdom. Because I think for so many of us, this kingdom is something that's out there. It's in the future. God has saved me for his kingdom, but then I do something wrong, and then he unsaves me and puts me back in prison. But if we understand, as Jesus announced, the kingdom of God is at hand, you can enter the kingdom now. Every time someone gets saved, every time someone gets forgiven, every time someone gets healed, delivered, the kingdom has come. Every time we give someone a glass of water, food, visit them in prison, the kingdom is advancing. If we understand it that way, then when I live outside of that kingdom that God provides for me, there's a consequence in that I no longer enjoy the benefits of that kingdom. And I can put myself in prison. The consequence of me not living a life of forgiveness is that I live a life of insecurity. Because the moment I stop forgiving, I begin to say, I wonder if God really has forgiven me. It might be subtle. It might be, you know, underneath subconscious. But we begin, to, I wonder if I'm really saved. I wonder if God really loves me. But the moment we live out of God's love and out of God's forgiveness toward others and we live and we, we forgive and we care for them and we show mercy to people, that we walk into a full understanding of what God has done for us. When we don't do that, it's like God puts us in a prison. He doesn't put us in a prison. We put ourselves in that place. We stop enjoying the benefits of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Those who do this, you won't inherit the kingdom. Part of that kingdom is now. It's not just the future. If we really hold that Jesus loves and saves and is one, once you're saved, you're saved, then you can't lose that. You, you will be with God in eternity for all time. But as it applies to us living now in the fruitfulness of God's kingdom, in the growth of God's kingdom, in the maturing of God's kingdom in our lives, we can just remain infants. Because we live outside of that which God called us to live. And it's really important for us to see that. You know, I think, the, I think Protestant evangelicalism, good word, which kind of we fall ourselves under, whatever, um, kind of has reduced the work of God to, you know, that, that bumper sticker, not perfect, just forgiven, going to heaven. And I just kind of think that's kind of weak. I just don't think that's the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Jesus proclaimed a gospel, I receive his mercy, I receive his grace, yay! Not quite perfect, but I'm going to heaven because I pray this prayer and receive this grace. 
I think, it's, I think that is such a weak, weak gospel. I think the gospel is I've received of Jesus and now he calls me to live and live it out and live it to the full and live to the glory of who he is and to demonstrate him and show his life wherever I go. And when I don't do that, it's like I imprison myself. I lose out on the benefits that God has for me. What's that scripture, Brian, that says we'll sneak into heaven by your, the fire on your pants or what there's a, there's a verse? I can't remember the exact, but it's like some people are just going to sneak into heaven. They're not going to get in with, the, with like, whoa, this is so good. I'm so ready for this. I'm so prepared for this. They're just going to go in because they kind of believed. But when they get there, they're going to realize, man, there was so much more to this life that God called me to that I missed out on because I didn't walk in obedience. I didn't do the things that he asked me to do. And God doesn't ask us to do stupid things. He's a father who loves us. He asks us to do things as it applies to his life and his love flowing through us toward other people. To be kind. To forgive people when they've wronged you. Actually, in, in Matthew it says, when you know your brother has something against you, you go make right. It's a terrible scripture. I hate that scripture. When your brother holds something against you, you go make right. I mean, it's just like, what? No, he must make right. No, you go make right. I don't like that verse. It irritates me. It's one of those I want to scratch out of the Bible. Um, When Jesus, so Jesus is saying to Peter, you've received so much. It's 70 times 7. Just never stop. Never stop forgiving. Never stop loving. Never stop being kind. Never stop being gracious. Never stop. Just, now, remember the thing I said at the beginning? We, we, it's a long-term project. God's shaping us over a lifetime. We are not perfect. We, are, we will make mistakes. But we keep coming back to God and remembering and that word remember is a very, very important word here. Because when I find, like, I'm holding something against Aaron, then I need to remember that God did not hold things against me, which should give me the freedom and the power in that to go and not hold it against him. Does that make sense? So, I won't tell the story. Um... Jesus expects, and we don't like that word because we don't want anyone to have an expectation of us, especially in our world now, but Jesus has an expectation of his disciples to grow and to mature and to become the people that he wanted them to become. He expected that the seed that he planted in our lives to grow and produce fruit. Jesus has that expectation. But every time we in disobedience, Go against what he's asked us to do. We shrivel it up a little bit. We shrivel and die a little bit. We imprison ourselves. We, look, we start feeling insecure. We begin to hoard. We, whatever it is, in, every, in any area, when we don't live in joy, then we begin to be really upset with people that just seem happy all the time. Have you noticed that? They feel, they, they, they're just so False. It's because you're struggling inwardly. When we stop loving people, we get irritated when people are just kind and careful, 
care, you know, care about us. It's like they just, I don't know, maybe it's just me. But I think we do that because we actually begin to shrivel. We, our spirits begin to shrivel in everything that God has given. And, and God's saying, no, I've forgiven you much. Go and forgive these people. they little things compared to what I have forgiven you. And you know something? As you forgive that person, it might unlock them to see the forgiveness that I want to give them as well. But if you don't, it's like, oh, man, there's a consequence. There's a consequence. And they're not good consequences. Paul has this, again, this, this, this verse that I don't like. He says we need to train ourselves to be godly. You've got to train yourself. It just doesn't happen. You can't think yourself to godliness. You can't try to be godly. You have to train yourself to be godly. And so when we come into situations where we know we've received life from God, and here's Thomas, and I'm holding something against Thomas, and I feel irritated about Thomas, and he owes me something, but he's not sorting me out, and I want to, I'm getting mad, and I rem- God, help me. And I, what is it that I need to learn here? How do I train myself so that I can respond to him well? Whether it's I'm going to release him completely, or whether we, we're going to renegotiate, but my attitude towards him needs to change on the basis of what God is doing in me. I'm training myself not to be explode. I'm training myself not to be angry. I'm training myself not to be frustrated. There's an important thing, but it can only start when we remember what God has done for us. Um, it's really, really important. Um, remind ourselves of the story. Big forgiveness, little unforgiveness, consequence. If we didn't have the first bit, kind of be okay. Oh, I'm not going to let you off the hook. But in the light of that first thing, the how much God has let us off the hook, no, no, we're going to be kind to people. Now, that doesn't mean, please don't hear this now, that everybody that owes you money or owes you something, you've got to just go tomorrow and write letters and say, you're all off the hook. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is something far more significant. This is talking about this idea of holding things against people. And I bet if you were honest and you took out a piece of paper and you began to write, we all are holding something against somebody. Someone has hurt us. Someone that let us down. Parents, siblings, family, friends, work colleagues, whatever. They, all of us hold something if we actually got honest to say, nah. And I think God is challenging us to actually say, no, will you, will you re-look at that? Will you possibly in your heart release somebody? For, for some of us, like for me, I had to come to the place where I forgave my dad even though he was dead. Because it wasn't about him, it was about me. It was about me learning to walk and live in freedom. Because my dad abandoned us, he was an abusive man. Dad, well, I can just go on. So I held this resentment. If, it, if my dad had at least been this, I wouldn't have been that. You know, that type of thing. And I had to come to this place and, no, no, no. Actually, I can release this man and just forgive him. Why? Because I want to walk in the freedom of everything that God is, has for me. And while I don't, I'm boxed in, which is part of what EHS is. Is it not, Aaron? 
is dealing with some of these things of forgiveness so that we can come into freedom. The consequence of not doing it is that we remain bound up. And some people remain bound up their whole lives. And they enter the heaven, whatever we... We'll talk about that one day. They enter the presence of God, heaven. And they get a glimpse of what could have been, I think. Or should have been. I truly, I don't know about you, I, I truly want to hear the words, well done, good, faithful servant. Did everything that asked for you by the master. I've always, I don't know about you, maybe that's just a South African thing. I've always got an excuse why I don't have to or shouldn't. I can always justify to myself why I shouldn't forgive Aaron. Why I should just hold on for one day longer. But actually, there's no excuse. God wants me to live out of the freedom that he's giving me. And if I don't, I bind myself up again. And it's like he just puts iron bars around me, which he doesn't. It's me. It's captivating myself. Mr. Snodgrass again. God insists upon the dignity of his mercy. God's mercy must not be treated cavalierly. Mercy is not effectively received unless it is shown, for God's mercy transforms. If God's mercy does not take root in the heart, it is not experienced. Forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known. Basically, the parable teaches, Woe to you if you stand on your rights, for God will then stand on his and see the judgments is executed. Quite powerful, eh? God's mercy transforms. And are we allowing God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's love in us to transform us? This is what happens when you hold unforgiveness. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. If I say the word bitter, what do you think of? You can talk. Bad coffee. Bad coffee. Okay? Bad coffee. I, I had that today. I made coffee this morning. It was so bad, I threw it away. That, that happened. When you think of bitter, what do you think of? Bad dark chocolate for me. What do you think of when you think bitter? Bad taste in your mouth. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Sour. But it, it, it causes you to shrivel. You know, when you taste something bad, you go. When you live in bitterness, your spirit goes, shrivels. Becomes like a prune. And from that... It's like a cancer that affects your soul. And you die. Not necessarily physically, but you die to the life that God intended for you, intended for us. Forgiveness is a very, very, very powerful, very powerful thing when we truly forgive. 
and we release people. Not just that, I've forgiven you, Betsy, but no, when I've forgiven, I let it go and I release you. You're forgiven. No strings attached. And some of you are going to say, well, it's impossible. We're human. It's hard. But I think God can teach us by his spirit how to walk into that. As we begin to understand more of what he's done, we walk into that. I want to ask you if you do that. The same idea, I'm, I'm finished. The same idea is expressed at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Says, lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we always say, for thine is the, power, the kingdom, the power, the glory. I mean, that one. But it actually goes on and says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's quite a harsh verse, isn't it? So we're saying that these things are tied together. The way that we treat others is affected by the way that God treats us and how we see those things. And if we treat others badly, we haven't understood what God did for us. So I'm going to ask you as we come to the table of now, to the Lord's Supper. If all you've heard, well, actually there's only one thing I want you to hear. Would you learn to receive of God's forgiveness? Would you learn to give God's forgiveness? If you are holding judgment against somebody, would you release them or begin to release them and ask God to help you? Are you seeing the speck in the eye when you've got a log in your own? Would you ask God to come and help you? And I'm going to read the text from Matthew 5, 21. It's under the concept of anger. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser goes on. There's a sense of hurry to make things right. So I'm going to ask you as we come to the table today to take a moment before you come and say, God, where do I need to make right? Where do I have to release somebody? Where do I have to forgive somebody? Where do I have to show mercy to somebody that I've just been harsh with and unkind to and I'm holding them to a... a a standard that maybe I couldn't even hold myself to, whatever. Say, God, will you show me that? And will you bring power by your spirit into my life today to help me to be able to release that? As I begin to remember what you've done for me, I want to be able to do that. And then come and break bread. I'm not saying you have to make sure everything's correct before you come and break bread. Let this be your sense of I'm going to work on this so that I can get this right. This is a remembrance of God's kindness and forgiveness toward us, wiping out our massive debt. Can we think that through? Is that all right? Let's take a moment, be quiet, ponder, and then just come forward.